This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 96 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss a new French study on stalled horses. In Tigopedia, we answer what foods are helpful for horses in winter. Critter Nutrition focuses on sourcing ingredients. And in Coffee Clatch, we pick our best vacuum cleaners for pet hair and dirt. Listen in. Wellington. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, How long dun. until you head south? <laughs> head south January 2nd. January 2nd. For those who are not regular listeners here to the Healthy Critters Radio, that other person you hear talking is Tigger. She's the head cook and bottle washer, chief formulator, Ta-da! leader of Biostar US and the Healthy Critters Radio. And typically, the person sitting in the other chair chatting with Tigger is Patty. <laughs> who has is on a horse buying trip. So with a client, so we hope they find a great horse. And in the meantime, we have Jennifer, our producer. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we need scary music. <laughs> we need scary music. <laughs> I have some of that. I'll have to dig it out. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I'm not. Who scary. is sitting in Patty's chair today? I and and so, there you have it. And there you have it. So, how long have you been making the winter trek? And for folks who are maybe outside of the English world, if you're if you do uh, Western things or vaulting things or polo things, you might not be familiar with what uh, English folks refer to as Wellington. <laughs> Give everybody the Reader's Digest of what Wellington is. Well, first of all, the first year I went to Wellington was 1990, which was the beginning of the Winter Equestrian Circuit. It was tiny then. It was little, (laughs) very little. It was not even a pond, but it was a great idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Now it's 15,000 horses within, I'm going to guess about 10 miles. Wow. 10 mile area, maybe 12 miles. Dressage, show jumping, hunters, ponies, polo, some drivers, eventers will come down from Ocala, maybe to work on their dressage or do some show jumping. So it's the mecca in the world for equestrian Olympic sports. Uh, The only thing we're really missing is raining. I'm, I'm just, I'm not sure why the rainers haven't come or don't come. Um, Wrong footing. Yeah, well, that's true. There you go. So, the Winter Equestrian Festival is the name of the competition. Wellington is the town where it's the town. Yeah. Even though everybody calls it Wellington. And there are, it's this giant facility that's kind of divided into sections. There's sort of the dressage section and the hunter jumper section and the polo section. Yeah. And there aren't, as far as I know, there are no world championships or national championships competed at, but this whole thing is all about getting exposure and gaining points to qualify for things like that. Is that kind well, of yes. what it is? Like this is the Olympic year, so there will be a lot of Olympic qualifiers. There are World Cup qualifiers in show jumping and dressage. And then there's the prize money. Oh. <laughs> because the prize money is huge. For the really, really big four-star events or big three stars, you know, in the show jumpers, it can be 250, 300, $500,000. Wowzers. Now, yeah, it's huge money. For the big classes, do you, do they get a lot of spectators? Yes. Yeah. A, a show jumping for sure. Dressage mostly gets it on the freestyle night, which is Friday night. And then the stands are pretty packed. Yeah. The, the one time we went down, there were I was very pleasantly surprised at how many spectators they had. And in the equestrian world in the United States, 
most shows don't get very many spectators. Those are few and far between. So that's that was kind of cool that they had so many people coming to watch. Well, I think the show jumpers get you know Upperville and Washington International right. and yeah. Harrisburg There's and things the like few, that. But there yeah. are a few that are just because all the big names come. So it's and it's exciting. Yeah. So for for when you go down. How do you prepare to make that trip as far as Biostar is concerned? I ship everything. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you, do you ship down gobs and gobs of product knowing that you have clients that need, what, need it? What, what, what we do is I, I get weekly shipments mm-hmm. so that I, the first year that I was you know, working Biostar for the season rather than coming down for just two weeks, I had so much stuff shipped that the house that I rented, the garage was, was like... Oh, you did it all at once. Oh. Yes. And I realized, okay, not a good idea because I can get stuff shipped from Virginia and it can be here in two days. Yeah. So um, that's what I do. I just get weekly shipments. Yeah. I mean, I start out with a pretty good inventory. Right, right. Two, two final questions before we move on to our roundtable discussion today, which is going to be... Energetic, at least. (laughs) Second to last question is, how long is the winter season? It starts in January and it ends the beginning of April. And it's there's a show every week. Every single week for that many weeks. And if someone were to be down in the Wellington area and go, I would love to meet Tigger and talk to her about horse nutrition and health, what is the best way to set up an appointment to talk to you down there? To contact the call, office at BioSource? Call our office. Call the office? <laughs> it's 1-800-686-9544. There you go. And if you can't remember that, just email me, Tigger at BioStarUS.com. Yeah, it's easy to find. You can go to BioStarUS.com. Phone number's right there on the homepage or send a postcard. Yes! And the address is for the postcard? 1 Cleveland Street, Suite 800, Gordonsville, Virginia, 22942. There we go. Please do that. And we're now at the roundtable part of our show. And I ran across an interesting article that was based on a study done in France entitled Enrichments Aren't Enough to Make box stalls better and you can go to the horse.com and read it yourself but the study which which looked at 187 stalled horses over 50 days they observed four distinct behavioral signs of poor welfare which were crib biting wind sucking weaving aggression towards humans biting and threats a depressed state, which was the bodily posture, the neck and back at about the same level with low ears and poor response to any kind of stimuli, and stress-related behaviors such as acting nervous with a high neck and excessive alertness or frequent defecation. And what they found in this study was that by increasing enrichments, for the stalled horses, which included providing straw bedding instead of shavings, allowing the horses to munch on the bedding, um, so that served as a forage, having a window outside, having access to another horse through the bars between the stalls, and having various kinds of equine toys available. And what they found out was that enrichment had little effect on the signs of poor welfare. So I thought this would be a very good topic for Jennifer and I to discuss with our listeners because stalled horses is a kind of unnatural thing. And yes, we've stalled them for many hundreds of years, but they're a herd animal. Their biology is to walk around all the time and eat. And so I thought we should discuss maybe what we could do, the little things we can do to enrich our horses' lives, even though they're living in a stall that doesn't include toys and and having a window, which seems not to have the effect that maybe we all had hoped for. This was a fascinating study, and you and I both came across it by way of an article on thehorse.com, which was 
basically just sort of a, a synopsis of what the author got out of the the study. And when you ta- said that we want you wanted to chat about this topic on the show tonight, I zipped over and actually read the actual study. Uh, and the study was a a little more in depth than what the article is. So. Uh, in the show notes for today's episode number 96, I'll put a link to the actual study because I think you'll you'll find that much more interesting. But the study set out to show show whether or not some very specific things improved what we perceive as the horse's contentment. Is that kind of what you thought, right? I thought it was to, you know, maybe reduce the signs of poor, what right. they call poor welfare. Whether or not things that they were doing in the study w- would. And the conclusion was kind of like, mm, not really. And then we got to thinking, because we chatted about this a little bit ahead of time, what could we do to improve their welfare? Because the limited forage, enormous amounts of concentrates when you're a sport horse, at least, um, being so lack of socialization, go to, go to, yeah. don't get to chat with your other horses and the inability to scan and observe their surroundings yeah. are four things that pretty near every show horse has to live with so or live without we should or say li- or live without right exactly so i had read a study a long time ago about using straw bedding and they did show that horses will lay down and rest more when they're on straw bedding than they will when they are on shavings bedding. So they tried shaving straw bedding and they did find that the horses ate it. And what a great way to help your horse forage. Let him eat the bedding. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now when you, when you say let him eat the bedding, okay, I get that. What, how do you counter the barn manager coming back and saying, I can't let him eat the bedding because he gets fat. Or that they're afraid they'll colic. Or they're afraid they'll colic. How do we counter that one? For one thing, the best thing to do is just make sure they've got hay in front of them 24 hours a day, and then they won't eat the bedding. Your good point. Give them hay 24 hours a day instead of giving... If you don't want your horse to eat straw because you're concerned he will colic, or in my case, I hated it because they ate all the bedding and had nothing to sleep on... (laughs) Right. Find find ways to make sure the horse has access to forage all the time. All the time. Yeah. It's very interesting because a lot of people that I come across nowadays, if the horse doesn't clean up all of the hay, if it's not completely clear of hay. Then they give less. They give less hay. Yeah. Which I find interesting. And I always... I always had this thing, and maybe this, maybe I, I started out this way because we grew up in a place where we all, if we didn't, our neighbors did grow our own hay. So we had mm-hmm. pretty easy access to it, and it was not a particularly expensive commodity where, where I grew up and kind of formed my opinions about feeding horses. We always used the, the uh, there should be some left. If it's all gone, you didn't feed them enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the wintertime, you're in Virginia. In the wintertime, how do you feed your retired horses hay? Do you use small bales, big bales in the barn, out of the barn? Um, it's all square bales. Mm-hmm. We used to feed round bales. And I gave up the round bales because I couldn't get a higher quality right. enough round bale. It's hard to find those, yeah. Now it's all square bales, and we spread them out. So they have to walk around and yeah. they'll shift and... Toss the flakes around, yes. Yeah, exactly. So when you were showing your horses, how did, you, how did that differ? Because so, obviously as a show horse, he has to spend at least some time in a stall. Yeah, my horses always got turnout. Mm-hmm. Individually, but they got turnout. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I don't think I gave them as much hay if I was... If I had them now, was competing them now, I would be giving yeah. a lot more hay. Your, your advice to your younger self would be give them more y- hay? Yes. Yeah. Especially from that night check to morning feeding. Right. Yes. I, I, I remember back in the day when I used to do night check for the barns that I worked in. And you would walk along and the vast majority of the horses at 11 o'clock at night had pretty much no food left. 
It was all gone. It's like yeah, and it's we, usually gone within two hours. Yeah, and and we never thought so twice about it. So if you flow, throw a flake at nine, it's gone by eleven, and they're going from eleven to six or eleven to seven a.m. No food. That's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. My goal is four hours. No more than four hours. Yeah. In any given point yep. that they should have no food at all. Yeah. Four hours in a twenty-four hour period. Yeah, and that's mighty tricky with a fat pony. Yes, that's where you want to get into soaking hay and nibble nets. and you, We use a lot of small whole hay nets, and that little bugger yep. gets fed five times a day. <laughs> and what are the things? And does he, he have, does he have shoes? No, he's barefoot. You know, you might look into the hay pillows. Well, the only reason I don't is because he lives in a dry lot, and it's sand, like beach sand. Oh, yeah, not, yeah. that's not a good so choice. What we, have, what we do with him... Is, and this is something you can do with any horse. It doesn't have to be a fat pony. We have lots of different places where the food goes. So instead of putting all of the hay in one hay net, we'll divide it up into three different hay nets and hang it on three different trees in three different places. Yeah. So he'll, he'll, he'll eat a little bit out of this hay net and go, well. And walk around. And then yep. walk over. It's like, well, maybe this hay net over here has a good, a good piece in it. And then they'll walk to the next one. Well, there's, there's a good sliver in that one. Uh, we right. do that. Uh, we use cubed or pelleted hay and we'll put it in a in a ball that he has to push it out of Mm -hmm. and he has a great time with those he can take easily a half an hour to eat a quarter cup of hay pellets perfect (laughs) trying to get him out of that little ball and the balls are nice because you can use them with any horse shod or not the 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 nibble nets are tough because you can't put them on the ground if they're shod but that those are really handy i recommend them to everybody and if you have soil and not sand like we do you can even use them in your pastures mm-hmm. and i discovered that we, we got one of the big ones that, I, that they make that it's a hard plastic ball and it's not round it's flat-sided all over the place and it has a hole for the cubes to fall out that even if they're turned out on grass they will roll that they'll thing around push it around they'll yep. push that around and get the alfalfa cubes out and have a great old time. And it gets them moving for, especially for horses when you turn them out in a paddock or pasture. Frequently being a show horse, they're by themselves. And they're not real motivated to move around. They just stand there and eat. Or they run around like an idiot, right? Those are the two options. Um, it really helped encourage them to move about because they had to move the ball to get more cubes out of it. So in that moving around, getting more exercise and investigating your your surroundings part of this equation trying out one of the tr- the food dispensing hard plastic balls can be really useful and uh, it's a little safer than the than the the hay pillows for the shod horses. Yeah. Yeah, I would never use a hay pillow with a shod horse. So what what about the social aspect? That's tough because show horses they pretty much paddock by yourself, dude. You're not getting kicked. Well, I I think we make a mistake when we don't let horses greet each other. And I'm not talking about stallions and mares, but, you know, geldings can meet other geldings. Mares can meet other mares. Mares can meet other geldings. Allowing them to have nose-to-nose, have a chuckle, because I think sometimes they're just laughing at each other. A horse walked into a bar, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We we do our utmost to separate them. Mm-hmm. And understandably, we don't want our horses kicked or hurt. Or, but I think a lot of their reaction or, or overreaction is from lack of contact. I think you're right. It's, it's a little bit like that the puppy who was never socialized as a puppy. Yes. Then when he does meet other dogs, just has all of these crazy, crazy yeah. outside, of the, outside the box behaviors. And he can't control himself because he didn't learn his social skills. I think you've hit on something there in that. When they do finally get to touch noses with a horse they've never met before, there's all kinds of fireworks because this is a novel thing for them. It's not just like every day, yeah, hi, who are you, whatever. Interesting. One of the ways that I've, I didn't realize I was doing it until we started this discussion. Um, Our horses, for the most part, live out here in Ocala, Florida, but they do come in the barn pretty frequently and hang out in their stalls for a few hours at a time or sometimes a whole day or whatever so that when a hurricane comes through or some other disaster that they have to stay in the barn it is not novel it's something they do no big deal but we take them in and out of the barn and there are usually a few other horses in there who also live on the same property they met each other over the fence they see each other riding in and out yep 
And I've, I realized that whenever I'm walking any of them in and out of the barn, whether they're mine or the next door neighbors who use the same barn, if they stretch their neck out to say hi to the guy they're walking past, I just let them do it. Yep. And th- it's such a non-event. It's like, yeah. hi. Oh, yeah. Hi. We know you. <laughs> Whatever. Yes. And, and then I keep walking out. Well, why did you have to stretch your neck out and pull my arm to say hi to him when you, when you knew who he was? And part of me wants to say, don't let them do that. Another part of me wants to say, let them say hi to the other horses in their barn so they can be familiar with their surroundings and feel secure. Because when you're a prey animal, knowing who else is in your herd and knowing who else is in your barn maybe makes you feel safer. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that they, you know, they have their, their, their telepathic communication. Hey, it's you. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> hey, nice to see you. I'm nice headed to, to my stall friend. now. Catch, <laughs> nice you, catch you out in the paddock. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So in, again, in the competitive community, the show community at the very, very highest levels where horses are pampered beyond belief and oftentimes, you know, much to their chagrin is allowing the horses. I'm, I, I imagine being allowed to be turned out in a group is practically unheard of. No way. Yeah. Whenever. And that's something just, just I had a light bulb moment. These horses get hand walked all the time, all the time. Let the Which ones, is great because yeah. they're out moving. They're out moving. But still not in contact yeah. with their own kind. Let them let them socialize a little bit with other with neighbors you know, in I their barn. Made it to like prisons for humans. Yeah. They're let out, you know, humans are in their cells and then they go out into the yard. But they're imagine like some of the the ones that are on death row, they they're like out in the yard for an hour, like by themselves. So it's really isolating. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. And in how when you hand walk horses that are stable mates, is it such a bad thing to let them graze near each other or walk right no. next to each other without a human in between the two of them? One one human sta- walks on the horse on their left side. The other human walks their horse on their right side. So the horses are walking next to each other and there's no human in between. So if they so choose to look at each other and say, hey, Fred, they could. Not a bad thing. I, I will lead horses here at the farm, me with one horse on each side. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes they just get behind me a little because they're having a little coffee clutch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. They do. And, you know, so what? Big deal. Yeah. Yeah. And then so you have. I do think, I do think we have to be mindful of their need for their own kind, just like our need for our own kind and dogs needs for their own kind. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And not keep them so, so isolated. Yeah. And I think simply being able to see other horses for many, many horses is not sufficient to create that sense of herd And the sense yep. of security that yep. that does best because that's I, really what a herd is. Yeah, it's it's a family. It's yeah. security. Yeah, I had one once that was a bit of a fruit loop, an incredibly talented athletic horse that was just she did not have two brain cells to rub together. That poor thing, when she was good, she was just off the charts amazing. But she was only good two days a year. <laughs> but every single day when you brought her back into the barn she would lose her marbles. That was it. And she would stop. She would not stop losing her marbles until her, the horse in the stable next to her came over and actually said hi to her and said, it's okay. You know, kind of struck her head. And it had to be one specific horse. If I put a different horse in that stall, it didn't work. And what I started doing with her is when I bring her into the barn, everybody, once everybody was in the barn, I would take her back out of her stall and I'd walk her throughout the entire barn. It was kind of an odd setup with lots of aisleways. It wasn't one big long one. And she had to walk up and down the aisleway and have a conversation with every single horse in the <laughs> barn. Every single, even the ones who didn't want to talk to her. She was the event planner. And that that really helped her gain a little bit of emotional yep. control. Um, she was still a bit of a Fruit Loop, but she would she would settle enough that she would eat her hay, 
and things like that. But that process of going, oh, wow, she just needs to know who's in the barn and where they are. She wants to know where her entire herd is because once they were out in the fields, they were all pretty much together. And she wanted to be reassured that even though she couldn't see them, she could hear them, but the wall was solid. She couldn't see them. She wanted to make sure she knew where they were. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Now, another thing that um, they talk about in this study is being able to see their external environment. Look out the window. And I, I always assumed that most barns these days, the horse had the ability to look out of his stall. Where do you weigh in? There are a lot of barns that are designed to have windows that open or windows that have screens. I, I think that's kind of imperative. My barn is an old shed row, so it's a Dutch door in front. Mm-hmm. So they just hang their heads, and they just have stall guards. I mean, yeah. they're older, you know. They're not. They're not going to escape. They're not. They're not in a hurry to jump out. No. 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 And you know, I remember, and there's racehorse barns. A lot of times, will just use stall guards. They may not have the windows because these barns have like inner stalls. Right. Um, right. It's it's a it's a row of stalls in the center and a track around the outside. So there's nowhere to put a window. Yeah. No, they're stalls on the outside. They have the windows, and then there's an aisle, and then there are double stalls oh, in the okay. middle, and then on the other side gotcha. of it is another. Yeah. Yeah. And they use a lot of stall guards mm-hmm. so that the horses can hang their heads out and look at their neighbor, and it sure is better than being, you know, all closed in, yeah. which I understand for safety reasons. Right. You know, we want to close the door and... But um, I, I just increases isolation. Right. And you're right. The, the stalls that have the bars so the horse gets plenty of air. Yeah. Great thing. He can see around pretty well because the bars. Those are great, but it does limit his field of view. So yeah. Less than great. Uh, but you're right. For safety issues, some horses who have aggression issues and won't, won't let others walk past their stalls without right. threatening, you need to have that in in your back pocket. Um, but you have to wonder if you have a horse that is prone to lunging at either people or horses that go past his stall. If there are things that we could do to help alleviate that horse's, you know, having a window in the back of the stall would help. Yeah. Right. At least he could hang out and and see what's going on and feel safe. Yeah. You know, make sure he's got plenty of hay in the back of the stall, not in the front. Right in the back of the stall, and uh, you know, I a horse that gets like that, I would be very. I, I would certainly want to be addressing stress. Yeah, he's got stress in his life in a big, big way. Mm-hmm. Find out ways that that particular horse to help him feel less stressed. Yeah. yeah, one of the things I've observed over the years is because I love stall guards, that horses tend to be more relaxed in their stall if they have a stall guard or some kind of containment device across the door that they can see through all the way to the floor mm-hmm. versus it, a Dutch door, which is chest high down. It's solid. You'll frequently yeah. see them standing there pawing and beating on that door. But you take the same horse and you put a stall guard or I have, what do they call them? Stall gates, I think they call them. It's the yeah. wire mesh gate. Yeah. I have yep, those. they're great. Um, a lot of horses that would typically paw at a Dutch door won't. Right. So an option, for, especially for a horse like that will crawl under or walk through stall guards, both of which right. our pony crawls under them, the horse walks through them. So gates it was. <laughs> <laughs> gates it was. So that's very interesting to, you have those different things. And then the horse that's, maybe a little shy and withdrawn and tends to want to just hang his head and not be interested in his surroundings because there's plenty of those. That's a real sign. Yeah. Maybe That's having a, a gate in the front a, will encourage Pay attention him. sign. Yeah. Or the ones that, you know, are constantly on alert. Those are two big stress signs. Oh, so the, 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 in, the in a, introvert okay. and the extrovert. Yeah, the two two opposite ends of the spectrum. The one that hides in the yep. corner all the time, or the one that's yep. buggy eyed all the time. Yeah, 
Which one do you come across most often in your travels to in the winter circuit? Performance horses. It's it's. I would say there are more of the extroverts. Yeah. He's out there at the front of his stall. The ears are and correct. the introverts sometimes are just misread. Really? Well, because they're quiet and they don't spook and they don't overreact and they kind of go about doing their job. So we tend to think, oh, they're they're fine. So you really have to pay attention to the body language. Yeah. So when in fact they're not really fine, they've just kind of mentally they've shut just gone down. within. Yeah. yeah. If they don't see me, if if I don't see them, they don't see me. Right. Yeah. And some horses, God bless them, they don't want to let you know. Yeah. You know, they just don't want to, they're stoic. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, if you have a horse that falls somewhere in that spectrum, and obviously you have a horse that does, we would love to hear about the ways that you help your horse's living conditions optimize. How do you optimize where your horse lives, whether it's a stall or a pasture or a little of each? We would love to hear from you. And you can either send us a postcard. We would love that. <laughs> yes, we would. Or you can email us at, uh, just go to biostarus.com, right there's the email address. Or you could be, you could be really modern and, <laughs> and contact us on Facebook. I guess you could do that. Healthycrittersradio.com. There you go, Healthy Critters Radio. Hello? Hetty! Hello, everyone. Greetings, Hetty. Please tell me there's no Glenn. I cannot cope with Glenn tonight. No Glenn tonight. No oh, Glenn and no Patty. No Patty? No. Uh, oh, what happened to Patty? She's on a horse buying trip with a client. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. But, you know, people are weird. <laughs> yes, they are. People are weird. And people are so mm -hmm. weird, Hedwig. I'm very curious. One of the things that we're talking about on the show today is toys and enrichments for horses. And people, the human servants of dogs everywhere for years, have been giving their dogs toys that they can consume, chewies and yummy good things to eat. Sometimes they give them things that are meant to be chewed on but not eaten. Do you have any favorite things to chew on that are not designed to be eaten? No, I have some toys, but I am not big on toys. Not like my brother, the goblin, who flings his toys about with abandon. Or my brother, Loki, who likes to hoard his toys and then roll on them. Mm -hmm. That's not my style. I had an alligator, but I was afraid of him, and now he is kicked to the mm -hmm. side of the shower to protect my human from breaking her foot on it again. That's a good thing to do with an alligator right there. Mm -hmm. So your, your other fa canine family members, what do they like yeah. to chew on specifically? Are they the kind that make squeaky sounds or the soft furry things? What do they like to chew on? Well, my brother Loki is a little bit odd. He prefers green toys to all other toys. Green he toys? He has the world's like the color largest green? collection of the color green toys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is world renowned and uh, he's very proud of it for sure. No question. He loves his green toys. He has one white toy, but he prefers green ones, bar none. The other brother, the goblin brother is not so discerning. He'll basically play with anything. Um, you know, he has a, blue bone toys, squashy things. They don't like the plastic ones at all. They like furry things. And they're smallish, you know, for they are small, but not properly small dogs. And they like adorable sort of toy because they will shred them. <coughs> and that's pretty much it. I mean, my brother has one that's disturbing. I believe he might have stolen, I mean, borrowed it from Tigger's dog after they left it in Florida. It looks sort of like a furry 
male genitalia thing that we can't say the word maybe on the radio? <laughs> Did it used to but be it has a little eyes. sheep? No, no, no. It's not been destroyed at all. It just is the shape of that thing, but gray and furry. So even more disturbing, and it has eyeballs. Oh, my. I have no idea what this oh is. That's a nightmare is what that is. <laughs> what was it originally? That's what it looks like. That's what it looked like when it came home with us. <laughs> so that begs me to ask, Tigger, what do your dogs Tigger play with? Some issues. <laughs> yes, we wondered if perhaps Tigger wanted to share with us anything. I, I, I don't even, I, the only thing I can think of is the little fuzzy stuffed lamb and a no, chicken. We it have, might have been a chicken once. No. That's possible. <laughs> or a bunny. No, Tigger, it's not a bunny. Well, thank well, you very much for that visual, Hedwig. We so appreciate yes. it this evening. We're and, here uh, to serve. I, I hope that someday in the future you learn to enjoy fuzzy soft toys because you are a fuzzy soft dog, and I think that would be appropriate. But I think that's why I'm a little anxious about it. Could be too similar. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah a little PTSD. I don't want to become one. Yeah, I see yeah, that. Well, mm-hmm. well, or thank- at least this well-considered anxiety. Yeah, well, thank you very much for the cautionary tale, Hedwig. And you have a good evening. Thanks, Hedy. Bye-bye. Bye. And we are at the Tigapedia portion of our program. This is where Patty usually jumps in, but Patty's not here. She decided to take the evening off. (laughs) And Tigger, the big brain amongst us, is going to talk a little bit about commercial feeds. Okay, but your horse gets hay. He gets commercial feed. Is there more that he should be getting, especially in the winter? Well, the answer to that is I have two go-to foods to help horses in the winter in addition to their feed and their hay. And one of them is fat and the other one is live, viable yeast. So if you've got a horse that is starts to lose weight in the winter, if you've got a horse that's older, fat is one of the best ways to add calories. I personally like hemp seed oil, camelina oil, flax oil. I really like coconut oil, but in the winter it is just a devil to deal with because it (laughs) really is like lard. (laughs) Yeah, like concrete. Yeah, and unless you have a, a microwave that you can warm it up, it's just not practical in the winter. So my go-tos are camelina and hemp seed oil, flax seed oil, And the nice thing about a really good oil, these are unrefined cold-pressed oils, is that you don't have to feed a cup. You know, you feed one or two ounces once or twice a day. And it's a lot of calories. It's They're healthy fats. And they're not inflammatory. You know, corn oil has got so much omega-6, it's kind of a pro-inflammatory fat. So that's my go-to is increasing fat. Of course, you can also get fat in a powder, but I find the oils are just way, they, they work way faster because it's all fat. The other thing is viable live yeast. And yeast is a probiotic that works primarily in the hindgut. So particularly in the winter, yeast is considered an Ayurvedic food to be heating or warming. So it's a really good food to give to an older horse or a horse that you have trouble maintaining their weight because it not only is it increasing the digestive fire, which is the Ayurvedic term for it, but it also helps the horse digest all the fiber in the hindgut. And since horses are eating 20 hours a day, mostly fibrous foods, it really benefits them to have a live active yeast. Now, how do you know if you're feeding a live active yeast? If it's live and active, like a yogurt, it has to have the CF 
use on the label. That's colony forming units. If it doesn't say what the CFUs are, it's not live. Doesn't mean it's not beneficial. It's going to feed the existing colonies, but it's incapable of colonization. So my tip is a good fat and a viable yeast. So are there, are you literally feeding yeast like the little powdery stuff like you put in to make bread? Well, yes, that's a live yeast. I don't recommend using a baking yeast, but there are lots of supplements out there with uh, live viable yeast. Biostar has one called Bio Yeast. It's two different strains of yeast, and it's 100 billion CFUs per teaspoon. There we go. So is a live viable yeast also nutritional yeast? No. No. It's different stuff. Different stuff. And definitely... It's not brewer's yeast. Definitely it's not, not nutritional yeast. yeast. Yeah. No. Got it. So you want live... Live, viable, viable. yeast. You have to have all three words. Well, it can, some companies say live, some say viable. You have to have at least two of the three words. <laughs> and yeast. So you have to be yeah. kind of literal with me. My apologies. <laughs> Because it, it does make a difference. If you're feeding brewer's yeast, you're getting some vitamins. Great B vitamins. But you're not getting a lot of the other stuff. It's not in the getting the pro, a lot of probiotics. No. There we go. Because for all that forage that they're eating, there we go. Correct. Good to know. Thanks. And we're at Critter Nutrition, and the topic today is sourcing ingredients. Have you ever looked down a list of ingredients on packaged feeder supplements and wondered what and where those ingredients come from? Not only the country of origin, but also how ingredients are grown, harvested, processed, and extracted. Are the ingredients made in a laboratory or grown on a farm? How was it grown? Was it produced sustainably? Is it fair trade? These are just a few of the questions Biostar asks when sourcing raw materials. One of the challenges of being a whole food supplement company is sourcing quality ingredients. Even in a global economy where there can be many choices, finding quality raw materials is a little like being Indiana Jones on the hunt for rare archaeological treasures. It begins with a certificate of analysis. Raw materials, including samples, are accompanied by a certificate of analysis. It's known as a COA. The COA includes a batch or lot number, microbial count testing, which includes salmonella, sometimes heavy metals, moisture, ash, protein, etc. For example, COAs show if a fruit or vegetable powder is drum-dried with maltodextrin, drum-dried without maltodextrin, or freeze-dried. In the case of oil, a COA will show if the oil has been solvent-extracted or cold-pressed. Some COAs are highly detailed, while others provide minimal information. But these COAs are only one part of the complicated process of ingredient sourcing. A good example is bovine colostrum. There are plenty of colostrum sources in the global economy. But what are the ethics of these colostrum suppliers? Is the colostrum from cows whose calves are taken away when they are a day or two old to be raised as veal calves? Are the cows pasture-raised, or do they spend all their time in stall confinement? These answers are very important to Biostar. The process of finding a new ingredient. When information reaches me regarding a new ingredient or a recent study perks my interest in a particular food component, I dive down the rabbit hole to learn more about this raw material. I look at the research, educate myself on the various cultivation and production methods. In the case of shilajit, I experimented with it on myself for six months before we decided to beta test a shilajit extract for Biostar. My horses are always the first horse beta testers of any new ingredient or product. Recently, I stumbled upon an astaxanthin company in Israel that has introduced a microalgae biomass. Astaxanthin is a super antioxidant in the carotenoid family that is derived from microalgae. We use it in several Biostar formulas for its antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties. This microalgae biomass was intriguing to me because a biomass contains more nutritional components than an isolated substance from it. 
Hemp biomass, for example, has more nutritional factors than just isolated CBD from the hemp plant. In the case of this microalgae biomass, it provides additional polysaccharides, fatty acids, protein, as well as a super antioxidant, astaxanthin, and other carotenoids. Polysaccharides really caught my attention since research is showing the role specific polysaccharides play in stomach and intestinal mucosal protection. I scheduled a conference call with one of their algae experts in Israel to learn more about the company and their products. For Biostar, it is important to have a relationship with companies and suppliers, which is actually easier with these smaller, innovative companies who do not have layers of people that you have to go through to get answers. As can sometimes happen when speaking to people in other parts of the globe, the scientists I spoke with had a very strong accent, and I had a difficult time understanding what he was saying to me. After a few laughs and clarifications, we were able to effectively communicate about the growing and harvesting processes of the microalgae, the percentage of astaxanthin content, and the other cofactors. The scientists and I were able to make a connection, albeit prompted by a laugh. We both agreed at the end of the call that email was probably the best way to communicate on a regular basis. Finding and testing samples. In order to really understand a raw material, particularly a specialty raw material, it is imperative to get a sample. With very expensive raw material, such as this microalgae biomass, getting a pound or more of it as a free sample is out of the question. Most samples for specialty ingredients are only 100 grams. Fortunately, this microalgae does not require a large sample per dose because, because it is so dense and concentrated. Once the sample arrives and I have reviewed the COA, to see if it meets our specifications. We smell and taste it, offer tiny amounts to the dogs, and assign a portion to be tested by our group of beta test horses. If the beta test comes back with favorable palatability, then we will take the remainder of the sample, blend it with the other components of a new formula. Then another test will go back to our group of beta test horses. Some of our raw material needs to be beta tested over time to see what the results are in horses or dogs. If that is the case, such as with Amalaki, Reed Sedge Peat, or our custom mineral blend, we will go ahead and order it, even though it may not end up providing the efficacy and results we are looking for. Cost. Price is seldom, if ever, a consideration and has never been a priority. Proven quality of raw material, how it is processed, harvested, how well it supports the horse or dog, sustainability and corporate responsibility are Biostar's priorities when assessing a new ingredient. I will lower our profit margin in order to accommodate a high quality ingredient into a formula. Reading labels for sourcing and quality. It is hard to tell from reading an ingredient listing on feeder supplements just what the level of quality is and where the ingredients come from. We consumers are at the mercy of what the marketing tells us. There are a few label indicators of quality. Certified organic, cold-pressed, freeze-dried, non-solvent extracted, RBGH-free, non-GMO, as it applies to the 10 genetically modified crops. However, Feeds and nutritional supplements cannot state the country of origin of ingredients on their labels. When I first started Biostar, we put the countries of origin on the label. Then the Virginia Department of Agriculture told us that it was forbidden. I, of course, argued transparency for the consumer, but it was not a battle I could win. So we now show the countries of origin on our website on each product page. I thought more companies would follow suit and include countries of origin on their web pages. However, to date, that level of transparency is something unique to Biostar. What about ingredients from China? China dominates some sectors of the nutritional food and nutraceutical sectors. For example, 95% of the world's vitamin C, ascorbic acid made from corn, is from China. If you are taking a supplement with vitamin C or giving one to your horse or dog, it is undoubtedly from China. One of the reasons is price. Right now, manufacturers of vitamin C in China are charging between $2 and $8 per kilo. That's 2.2 pounds. Even at $8 per kilo, the supplement company or feed company is paying less than one cent per serving. Biostar uses either whole oranges, 87 cents each, or freeze-dried whole orange powder, including fruit, pulp, and peel, at $25 a kilo. Whole foods simply cost more. There are ingredients that China grows and produces at a higher quality than others. Among these are the traditional Chinese herbs, traditional extracts, medicinal mushrooms, and teas. 
This is because they have thousands of years of experience cultivated in using these ingredients. Supplement companies depend on consumers' trust. At Biostar, we take that trust very seriously. You have entrusted your horse and your dog's well-being to the companies you purchase feed and supplements from. That is why we are so picky about raw materials and why we are so meticulous about how we make our formulations in-house and not by a third party. Biostar takes the responsibility you have given us to heart. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And we have at last arrived... At Coffee Clatch. Ta-da! Ta-da! And today's Coffee Clatch topic, <laughs> our picks for the best vacuum cleaners for pet hair and dirt. I want to know how you came up with this, Tigger. This I is a little have... off the wall even for you. No. Well, you know the story of my significant other, Peter. I had left for work, and on the days that I go into the office, he likes to sweep and clean and mop, and which is very helpful. And I, I left. I forgot something, <laughs> so I walk in the house, and he's he's got he's got one of those leaf blowers, blowing <laughs> 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 dog hair out the door. Oh my gosh, he was blowing the house. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And we had, obviously, like every house, we have vacuum cleaners, but they're heavy. And, you know, Peter's in his 70s. And it's, you know, it's work to push that uh, a heavy it's vacuum brilliant. cleaner. A vacuum cleaner fills up. You have to empty the silly thing out. The blower never blow never fills up. The out of doors don't fill <laughs> don't fill up. This is brilliant. No, it made me crazy. I said, "Why don't you use the vacuum cleaner?" He goes, "It's too heavy. It hurt." You know, he was in a terrible tractor accident, so he said it hurts to push it with my shoulder and da 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 da. And I'm like. Do not blow this house again. <laughs> I love you, Peter. You're my new hero. <laughs> That's brilliant. I know, it's horrible. Oh, my so, goodness. So what was the solution? Did you get a new vacuum cleaner? Well, se- several. <laughs> oh, you got several new vacuum cleaners? <laughs> well, first, I went and I read, you know, all about the Dyson, Right. Yep, they have the cute and, commercials. And, yep, and what I'd had, what we'd had before, was an Electrolux, mm-hmm. and and you know you have to drag the little thing around, and you have to get the special bags, and so I thought, oh, the Dyson looks really cool, and I read all the reviews, and da da da, order it, get it, and you know pushing that around again is it it isn't so easy, it doesn't sort of glide along it you know it, it's not really heavy but it's heavier than he wanted it's heavier than the leaf blower it's definitely heavier than a leaf blower and i was surprised at how poorly it did going from rug to uh, we are hardwood floors but we have 
scatter rugs. Yep, yep, yep. You have scatter rugs and many hairy dogs. And many hairy dogs, and we live on a farm. That's the trifecta of (laughs) vacuum killers. Yeah. So I started reading reviews for other vacuum cleaners, and and I thought, you know, I already made a mistake with the Dyson. So I walked into the office one day and I said, okay, everybody, and a lot of people at Biostar have dogs. I said, okay, what are you all using for a vacuum cleaner? And they all said, shark. And I went, shark? Really? Okay. <laughs> and um, so I bought a shark. And oh, my God. It doesn't weigh 100 pounds. It pushes easily. It has a self-cleaning brush that you don't have to take out to get the dog hair out. It's, it's a miracle. <laughs> now, you have, you have the all, all modern vacuum cleaners you're available nowadays. Bagless, you don't have to have that stupid little paper yeah, bag. Yeah, no bag. No bag. Yeah, it's an, and it's an upright, and you pull the little thingy out, and you can use the little hose. Yep, yep. and I, w- I was so happy with it. That I went and got the portable one, the yep. one that it, and you know, for little touch-ups, mm-hmm. it's awesome. There you go. Wow. And it just, circumstance, circumstantial, this was not planned. We also have a shark. Oh, you're kidding. I'm not kidding. Now, I will preface this. We get a new vacuum approximately every 24 to 28 months because we buy an inexpensive one. Glenn is mean to it and abuses it and it starts to not work anymore. So we get a new one. That's kind of how our vacuum cleaner life works. Gotcha. We have found that the more expensive models, he ruins them just as fast because he's not really careful about driving over the cord, (laughs) sucking up large dog toys, um, shoelaces, um, lizards, all of these things will ruin your vacuum cleaner. Gotcha. So we go Good with something in the middle price range, you know, and he, he kind of, he kind of likes it. He has the, the shark that has the little turny system. It's kind of a Dyson ball knockoff, but it's, it's very lightweight. I like that about it. Yeah. I love that about it. Yeah, it's very lightweight because he's the vacuumer in the house. When I have to do the floors, I'm, a, I'm much more prone. I would really prefer a broom to a vacuum cleaner any day of the week. Really would rather sweep. But we do have rugs, just like you do. We have throw rugs around, and they have to get to... I would actually take rather take those out and shake them. Oh, you and Peter are a match made in heaven. Yeah. He drags them out and beats them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And me, I want to run the vacuum cleaner over them. Yes, Glenn has... Glenn will take them out and shake them, and then bring them in and vacuum them. Well, these are... You know, what Peter does, he's brilliant. He goes to these, you know, garage sales on Saturday state sales and he gets these you know old turkish rugs Mm -hmm. for like eight bucks yeah and they're the best because they're not they don't have loops yeah right oh they're and they're not a thick pile either yeah and the shark does an awesome job yeah yeah so whoever any of you out there that love your dyson or your electrolux or your rainbow rainbow i didn't even know they still made those they still make them. Peter, wow. That's what Peter wanted me to buy. There is no way. No. The rainbow is very strange. It's the Mazda. What's the Mazda <laughs> engine they used to make? Rotary. It's the Mazda rotary engine of the vacuum cleaner world was the rainbow. Well, it makes sense to have the water, you know, to yeah. grab all the dust. Yeah. But no, thanks. No. no. So there we go. If uh, if you have a strong preference on vacuum cleaners one way or another, or one that works particularly well for people with long-haired dogs, cats, and horses, yes. we would love to hear about and it. And dirt, yeah. Let us know at Healthy Critters on Facebook. Or you can send us a postcard. <laughs> By a star U.S. One, one street. Cleveland Street, Suite, Suite eight, 800. Uh, 800. Gordonsville, Virginia. Or you can find the address... At Biostar. Oh, Biostar. you know it would be cool? <gasps> Send us a picture of your vacuum? <laughs> no. I was thinking, I wonder if I could get, if I wrote Shark and just gave them, you know, my my raving fan of their new, this is their new super duper pet vacuum cleaner. Yeah. And 
ask them to donate one for the Healthy Critters Radio That would be awesome. <laughs> it's worth a try, check right? That out. That would be awesome. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. (laughs) 